You're listening to the Knowledge Archives podcast. Welcome to the Knowledge Archives podcast. We're a group of students on a mission to learn from as many different disciplines of knowledge as possible. I'm your host, Mata Malhotra, and today I'm joined by Dr. Robert Black from the University of Greenwich, UK. He's an associate professor in agricultural and environmental regulation at the Natural Resources Institute at the university. And he also has decades of experience as a consultant in biosecurity law and international trade regulation. I'm very excited to hear his thoughts on how we can protect against invasive species. So thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on. And I'm really looking forward to this discussion about invasive species and especially how they play a role in the role of law and how we're creating solutions to tackle them. But first of all, I'd love to ask you to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your interests and your past experiences. Oh, good afternoon. My name is Robert Black, but I'm known to my friends as Rob. Currently, I'm mostly teaching environmental law and uh, food law to science students, but I have taught law full-time to, to law to LLB students. I started my career in essentially in plant science, but both as a civil servant in various countries and as an academic in universities and colleges in, in three continents. But in the 90s, I also took legal qualifications. And so mostly I, I now function as a, an academic lawyer, although because of my science background, I'm very much based at the interface between law and science and for about 20 years or more now most of my professional activity but both uh, research and advisory or consultancy work has related to the the topics of what is variously called biosecurity or alternatively with reference to the sanitary and phytosanitary measures for import controls under the WTO's agreement on the application of sanitary and phytosanitary measures, what we abbreviate to the SPS agreement. What a biosecurity is essentially about uh, preventing harmful influences coming into a country that can either be diseases like we're talking about at the moment with COVID, or it can be toxic. Uh, food or harmful uh, pests and diseases of of plants and uh, of livestock and other animals. So um, protection against nasty things coming into a country. Where sanitary and phytosanitary measures come in, international trade, and that's where the WTO, World Trade Organization, uh, is in is involved. And the key to all this is is risk assessment, uh, on which I also uh, teach at university, because basically any measures taken to uh, restrict uh, incoming goods uh, to prevent uh, the introduction of uh, harmful things, in other words, biosecurity measures or SPS measures, to to avoid them being um, regarded as trade barriers, they need to be justified by by risk assessment that the the actual that there is a, a real risk of harm being done through the importation 
so very broadly sort of biosecurity is a, is a broader concept because it it takes into account wider issues than just trade and is also partly concerned with uh, environmental protection whereas SPS strictly is about international trade uh, in goods. Yep, I really appreciate you taking the time to define those terms, SPS and biosecurity, because I know it will come up a lot over the course of our discussion on the topic of invasive species. So with that in mind, given the topics that you've been studying with SPS and biosecurity, could you talk a little bit about the role that these play in preventing invasive species and the problems that on a high level invasive species can create that require us to use these biosecurity and SPS measures? Yes, well first we should have an understanding of what an invasive species is and how this fits into regulatory frameworks protecting the environment. Uh, an invasive species, usually in this context referred to as an alien invasive species, or IAS, is a non-native species to a particular location or ecosystem that can cause harm to habitats uh, or reduce biodiversity or be hazardous to people or animals. For example, by a plant that is uh, toxic to, to livestock uh, grazing on it. Now, invasive alien species, IAS, can be plants or animals. An example of a toxic alien animal is the cane toad deliberately introduced into Australia from Hawaii to control pests of sugarcane. But as a toad, it actually can secrete very toxic uh, venom. But because it's... Um, a very large and quite attractive animal, potentially it, it could be picked up, for example, by children and cause them um, great discomfort, if not serious injury. Taking all this into account, the effects of invasive species may be, uh, they may be physically uh, harmful uh, uh, and this can have economic effects, but there could also be untoward social effects. For example, an invasive tree might render an amenity habitat less attractive or even impenetrable or for example another example is native birds not nesting in introduced conifers that replace native hardwoods what we should consider really is the is, is the risks of introduction of invasive species but before we turn to that i should deal with a question that is often asked is that are invasive alien species are they pests in the traditional uh, say agricultural sense for example plants we commonly call weeds may be non-native but they may be regarded simply as plant pests if the damage they cause is confined to cultivated crops whereas invasive species as we define them have a much wider range of, of possible effects and in the European Union other jurisdictions pests and invasive species may be regulated under different legislative programs uh, because of uh, of the effects uh, they have generally in that case invasive species are rather defined in the negative as as not being pests in the traditional sense 
In the UK, by the way, invasive alien species are referred to as non-native species. Coming back to the risks and, and what we might do or, or, or what the risks might be and how we, how we manage those risks or mitigate the risks, I think we first have to consider what actually is the status of an invasive alien species in any particular territory. Has it already arrived or are we uh, wanting to prevent uh, its introduction or not allow its introduction? If the species has already removed and it is considered to be causing harm, then we've got the options of eradicating, uh, which might be very difficult, or at least confining it, preventing further spread by destruction or removal. Now this is obviously easier with plants, particularly terrestrial plants, uh, less easy with, with animals that can uh, obviously uh, spread quite quickly. But the biggest problems come with aquatic ecosystems, especially with the introduced fish or invertebrates such as crustacea. In the UK we've got a serious problem with red signal crayfish uh, that was introduced for selling essentially live in, in Chinese restaurants and it's managed to escape into our waterways where it's uh, been uh, predating um, native species. A book chapter I co-authored several years ago drew attention to the problems caused by deliberate introductions of species and um, we went right through the entire plant and animal kingdom from algae at the bottom right up to mammals and lessons should have been learned from this is that essentially don't introduce without thinking about this very carefully uh, and particularly what we call doing a risk assessment uh, because uh, all these examples we gave uh, the introduction for where there was some um, uh, reason for the importation, uh, it turned out to be disastrous. Uh, there are so many examples. Rabbits in Australia, I mentioned the, the, the cane toad, uh, but there are many, many other examples. One of, uh, I think, the things that distinguish invasive alien species from pests is that invasive alien species are mostly introduced deliberately because they, they are seen as having some, there is some economic benefit or cultural benefit to their introduction. And, and so they are deliberately introduced either legally or perhaps smuggled in. Whereas most incursions of pests in the narrow sense are actually accidental. So this is why risk assessment is very much the key to preventative action to decide whether there are going to be any uh, ill effects of deliberate introduction of a non-native species. Mm -hmm. I think you covered a lot of great concepts in there where the specific examples of the different kinds of plants and animals that could be invasive species and also in a broader sense be pests, etc. Also with uh, the examples of how the risks that these species pose 
they're not always just environmental, they're not always just challenged to biodiversity, they can also be economic and social. And also you start to hint at the ways that we try to address the risks that invasive species create. And obviously it's, uh, it's already evident how complicated um, this process is and all of the challenges that can come especially as you mentioned with accidentally introducing or perhaps on purpose introducing invasive species to new environments. And on the note of that, I also wanted to ask you, so it looks like the status quo of how we attempt to manage this problem, you identified two categories where it was either that we destroy these species or we try to contain them to a particular area. Could you talk a little bit more about the specific uh, regulations that a government might use to enforce these policies, whether that be, say, trade regulations or some other kind of measure? Yes. Um, before I turn specifically to answer that question, I just want to return to the, the issue of biosecurity or alternatively SPS, because particularly with SPS, we, we, it is a trade issue and invasive species or potentially invasive species are traded. You know, there is, there is money to be made from selling them. Now, you know, the simple biosecurity issue would be that if there is a risk, a, a serious risk that these uh, invasive species will do harm, then we shouldn't import them. And that is a simple SPS issue, if you like, to legitimise a ban. However, uh, and that follows the uh, advent of the World Trade Organization in 1995 with the uh, SPS agreement. But more recently, we've had the Trade Facilitation Agreement. And this is essentially about balancing the protective controls to, uh, to minimise risk against the sort of bureaucracy and time-consuming import control procedures that traders have to face. And trade facilitation essentially means uh, lessening the bureaucracy and speeding the passage of perishable goods through customs. So all this is leading to very much doubling down on any uh, restrictive measures that are considered to be unduly severe. So that's the kind of current trade background. Now, the other question is, is considering the risk is whether what kind of boundaries or borders we're actually talking about. Because the border might be a national border, but there could also be province or state boundaries in, in a country that has a federal structure. So, for example, uh, in the United States, uh, we, we need to consider that, for example, a species that might not be considered a risk for eastern United States might be a risk for California because of a different climate and, uh, and ecosystems in, uh, in that state. So in uh, the United States example, uh, the states have got their own uh, regulations uh, limiting the movement of uh, invasive species across their state boundary in addition to the national or federal regulations. And then of course we've got 
the situation with a, an economic bloc like the European Union, where there's a regional boundary. And what's most important there is preventing a registered list of invasive species from entering the EU uh, in the first place from outside, as well as attempting to uh, limit the spread of those invasive species that are already within the EU. So basically, there are two approaches that uh, governments can take. The first is the, the white list of species, and that is where only species on the list are permitted to enter. And the, the other approach is the blacklist approach, which lists prohibited species. And different countries have different approaches. And for example, in Australia, there, there is a, a, a national or Commonwealth white list, uh, but some states of uh, the Commonwealth actually uh, may adopt a blacklist approach for very, very sensitive species. So within these regulations then, uh, as well as preventing transboundary movement, there'll also likely to be uh, regulations banning the sale or commercial transfer within the boundaries. And this could uh, apply to, uh, for example, to commodities like building sand dredged from rivers that might contain the seeds of invasive alien species. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, really interesting to consider how these play out in real life and also trying to understand the complexity of the problem. It's interesting to think about what the beneficial parts of these regulatory policies are versus the areas that they still have room to be improved on. And on that note, you mentioned some of the different examples of policies that different um, states and governments around the world have taken on this issue. Could you talk a bit about how there are potential solutions that are being developed that might make these approaches more effective, say, within the next five years? Yes, I mean, the first issue, of course, is, is, is actually greater enforcement uh, of the, the regulations. Um, for example, uh, the, uh, for the um, EU, what is of great concern are um, aquatic uh, invasive species. And uh, these are supposed to be strictly controlled, but I've seen them, some of these on sale in, in street markets in, in Paris. So, you know, clearly the, uh, there is a limit to the, the penetration of these regulations into ordinary uh, commerce. The other thing is, is generally, I think, that many developing countries may be behind developing appropriate uh, regulatory and uh, practical responses to invasive alien species, just as they may have been behind uh, developed countries with other aspects of biosecurity. And in general, I think many less developed countries have not fully recognised the challenges posed by invasive alien species compared to pests uh, in the traditional sense. And I think generally more attention should be paid to this because of the uh, economic importance of ecotourism. 
and, and generally people actually just not specifically going somewhere to enjoy the ecosystems but going to a certain locality uh, which is famous for its the beauty of its landscape because invasive species could do great harm to those systems and uh, be much less attractive to, uh, to tourists. My recent professional experience has been in uh, most recently devoted to Central Asia, former Soviet Union, and uh, there was uh, originally a higher level of control exerted from Moscow, which broke down with the collapse of the Soviet Union, and there wasn't any uh, external assistance, particularly from Russia, until much later. The situation was is actually been better in the Caribbean, uh, Africa, and the Caribbean, with technical assistance from former colonial powers often continuing to a greater or lesser degree immediately after independence. But I still think there's quite a lot to be done in in, in those uh, areas. And the SBS as such, as, as a trade issue and risk assessment, is still a difficult area for many countries, not just uh, less developed countries, because risk assessment does require a lot of great deal of information resources and it does require uh, a high level of specialist expertise. And many countries do not actually have trained risk assessment or risk analysis experts able to, uh, to do full uh, risk assessments. And then I think the biggest challenge though is climate change. It's clear that agriculture cultivation, uh, crop cultivation uh, will change. There'll be a lot of changes to traditional climate zones with climate change. And for example, uh, it's not widely known that olives are being grown commercially in southwest England, but almost as soon as commercial cultivation of olives started in that part of England, certain diseases, specifically of olive, started to appear. So, you know, the, the olive itself was invasive, I suppose you might say, but certainly the, the pests were invasive. But there are many other examples, of course. I mean, the more change in the main zones for cultivating uh, cereals, for grapevine, uh, and so on and so on. Now, I think a related issue to this question of climate change is how do we regard a species as naturalized rather than being invasive? In my own country, sweet chestnut and horse chestnut are naturalized and are part of our landscape. But nobody, as far as I'm aware, is thinking of eradicating them, even though they've been attacked within recent years by serious introduced pests. But on the other hand, serious consideration is being given to controlling, if not eradicating, gray squirrel that came from North America that has replaced native red squirrel in most parts of Great Britain, uh, apart from um, Scotland. And it's regarded as a pest feeding on, on for example, birds' eggs, but also uh, um, eating all the, the, the food in bird feeders and generally being a nuisance. 
well, there is some evidence that the red squirrel, the native red squirrel, would become a pest if uh, gray squirrel was eradicated and the red squirrel became re-established in urban areas. I think one thing needs to be done is to define the status of alien species in terms of ecosystems and conservation and deciding whether they are really invasive or they are naturalized because clearly introduced species not regarded as invasive might become invasive in adapting to climate change and how do actually do we assess the risk of that with all the uncertainties of climate change because we might decide to do nothing now because oh well this species is doesn't isn't doing any harm let it naturalize but then you never know what the, the future might might hold the final thing i think is that uh, i think there is some inconsistency the way in the way that pests in the traditional sense and invasive alien species are actually uh, dealt with in uh, legislation and regulatory frameworks sometimes in any particular country invasive species are not mentioned at all so do they come and do, are, are they regarded as pests or not now in application of the SPS agreement and the International Plant Protection Convention, which is a normative framework for trade in plants and plant products, there are two kinds of regulatory pests that may be controlled by biosecurity measures in international trade. These are quarantine pests and regulated non-quarantine pests, uh, which are essentially plant pathogens like viruses, bacteria, fungi present uh, dormant in, in planting material. So in a recent uh, paper on invasive species, my co-author and I did uh, suggest that perhaps there should be a third category of regulated pest in uh, the International Plant Protection Convention that is mainly uh, uh, actually an invasive alien species. And this would, I think, uh, help future uh, approaches to uh, to regulation mm -hmm. i think it's great to hear about all of these different categories and to hear about all of your insights from you know the examples of invasive species today to the status quo of how we try to solve them to now with the potential developments that we might see in the coming five years to make our efforts to combat invasive species pests and all of the other regulatory buckets that these species are grouped under more effectively. And finally, if um, someone wanted to learn more about your work at the University of Greenwich, where might they learn about that? Well, I, th th they can look me up on the um, NRI's um, website. I'm happy to uh, provide my details, but I think in the first instance, I think they should just email me. All right, that's uh, great to hear about. And I think it's really interesting to consider how this discussion has went. So thank you for joining me today and for all of the insights you provided. Well, thank you very much for uh, giving me this opportunity to, um, to answer your questions. Thank you.